And welcome back to A3's The Academy Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Beckwith. I'm going to go around the room. We've got James Garces. Thank you for having me. AJ Orange. Hey. Art Charles Jr. Yo. And Stevie Robinson. Hi. So today we're going to jump into leadership and all the aspects of leadership. And the reason we're doing this is we feel it's really important from a pay it forward standpoint that a lot of times the taking the time to sit down and actually have a conversation about leadership gets lost because we're so focused on so many other aspects of life. And as we were discussing prior to starting and pushing record, one of the things that we talked about was, you know, being an athlete and the decades of experience that we have in this room, we tend to take for granted the fact that we've been essentially primed, trained, and educated in leadership. And and none of us in this room have a PhD in leadership or anything like that. But from a life experience standpoint, it feels as if, you know, we could collectively put a curriculum together for a PhD in leadership because of the things that we've been taught, because of the experience that we've had. And we feel it's really important for us to pay that forward and, and take the time to sit down and really talk about the accountability of leadership the example of leadership, I mean, so on and so forth. We're going to touch on a lot of that today. And first, I want to start off with both James and Stevie from a recruiting standpoint that I don't think this gets communicated enough to the youth that, and James is going to touch on this, I'm sure, that when we talk about recruiting, when we talk about moving on to the next level, and we're talking about being a student first and athlete second, all of those things, one of the things that I again, from the youth, whether it be from the parents, from the coaches, from, you know, performance coaches, like what we do, uh, the leadership conversation doesn't always happen because there's so many balls in the air. And we want to slow that down, put the balls down and, and really talk about what should be starting the conversation. And that is being a leader, because ultimately, when you move on in life, whether that be athletics or into the corporate world or the coaching world or teaching world, whatever that is, the leadership aspect is what's going to be the number one tool in success. And we really want to dive into that today. James, I'm going to point this to you. Uh, you know, as you were talking about with your current team and everything that you've got going on, you know, leadership being a lot of times a popularity contest when we talk about being a captain or just being the best on any given team that you're on. I think, again, once we get to those higher levels, that takes a completely different role. Yeah, um, I agree to uh, just all of your opening statements right there. But for me, um, and this is completely my opinion, is that like the word leadership and the definition of leadership spans so far. Um, I don't think there's just one concrete definition. But, you know, when for our program, I can only speak for us, is that when we're actively recruiting, you know, and we're identifying a kid, um, something that we do look for absolutely is their ability to lead and get others to follow. Um, and you know, different teams may choose the word captain for different circumstances. Um, for some of them, it might be because this, this player comes early and stays late. He shows the intangibles of working on his game when no one else is watching. Um, maybe it's his ability to, to get other players, his teammates to buy in. Um, and then for others, it's just probably cause they're the best player on their team, right. Or best player in their area. So, um, you know, understanding that when they come to us, we don't expect them to be the leader of our team. 
necessarily right away, but we do feel with the ability to maybe being a previous captain, they should have some humility and have an ability to follow whoever this next leader is for them. So, and I think that's a big part of leadership for me is that someone who's humble enough to also follow. I think you got to be a great follower um, before maybe it's your time or before you're even ready, especially when you're making the jump from, you know, a youth level to college. I could only imagine I haven't been there, but from maybe like a college level to a professional organization. So that would be my kind of take. Yeah, I agree. I want to point this to to you guys on the panel too, that, you know, when it comes to leadership, hundred percent agree that it has to be that you're, you're able to follow that you have the humility, but you also have the empathy and the ability to communicate. And if those things, the empathy and the ability to communicate aren't there, then how are you ever going to lead? Because you can't relate to anybody. And that's a, that's a huge factor when it comes down to being a leader is you've got to be able to have the conversations and it's not always trying to dictate what the team should do or dictate the way we have to work out or this out or the other, or not just leading by example, you know, life is life and we're hu- We're all human. And there's going to be times where we just don't have the wherewithal that day to bring what we normally bring. And instead of jumping down somebody's throat, sometimes as a leader, you got to slow things down a little bit and have the empathy of going, okay, maybe something's going on. Have the conversation, right? Because that's that's ultimately what we're trying to do here is we're trying to build trust. We're trying to build a team. We're trying to build a winning culture. And part of that is being able to have the ability, regardless if you hang out with that person, if you're really good friends with that person or not, you still should be able to put yourself aside, come back to the humble idea, and get into somebody else and see what's going on with them and allow them to open up, allow them to, you know, make an excuse once in a while, because again, we are human. Other things are going on other than what's happening at that present moment. And if we can get into the psyche, if we can get into the empathy side of things, well, now you just built trust. And that ultimately is a winning culture. If there's trust, if there's the ability to just feel comfortable in a situation, regardless if you're, you know, it may not be that they're not giving their best because they don't want to, is it that they, they mentally and physically can at the moment. Okay, well, let's flip that real quick. Let's flip the script on that, figure out what's going on so that they can. So just as an example, when in all three of you have done this at the professional level, so feel free to hop in here. But like James is talking about going from the collegiate aspect to the pro circuit, and that's a huge jump. And we talk a lot about, you know, going from youth to high school and making the varsity team, which is a huge accomplishment. And then making it out of that and making it to the collegiate level, which again, regardless of the level, is is a huge accomplishment. And then now we're talking about very, very, very small percentage point of people. And we've got you guys in this room that have done it that have made it out of that and even gone further. So when you walk into that first locker room, when you first walk into that situation and literally everybody there has been an all-star or an all-American or a whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, we're talking about the best of the best of the best. And when you start doing that, you know, you're, you know, if we take it into the education world, everybody's got a PhD. So you're trying to get hired as a second grade teacher and everybody in the room has a PhD when you thought you were the only one. Well, now everybody does. So again, it goes back to that humble idea of, can you take that back? 
walk into the room and allow yourself to absorb the moment and learn from it. I feel like that was something that um, I know as a professional I dealt with just going into that, that first locker room, you know, because like you said, you know, you're, you're still on a high from being drafted, from being picked up from a team, you know, um, and now you're going here with all these other guys who were drafted too, you know, respectfully because of their talents and their abilities and they're able to play at that next level. Um, a lot of times, I mean, at least what I've encountered is you got egos, you got people who have egos, you know, you have people who, who, um, you know, they come from this and then they get into a game time situation or they see somebody else performing. They're like, Oh shoot. Like this guy's good too. Everybody's all-stars, you know, like we talked about a little bit earlier, you know, everybody's coming from their all-star, you know, or the captain or the leader from, a, from another team. And now we have all these all-stars together. So how do you work together and become professionals and learn how to be a pro? That was something that was kind of bestowed upon us. We had baseball one-on-one classes. We had all these things that where our coaches and, you know, I guess you can say mentors in the game from hitting coaches to coordinators, to managers, to higher ups, they, they teach you how to be a pro, you know, and from the people who were already there, you learn from them. And that was something that I took into that was that humility that you're talking about to be able to go into that, that room and absorb absorb knowledge, absorb how people go about doing things, you know, because now it's not just, okay, we go here, we practice, we do what we did over here at BC. Now it's okay. Now you're playing for the Blue Jays organization and there's a way of doing things here. And I feel like going into that first season was, was, was uh, opening the door, but going to spring training is where you really got to see it. Now it's not just guys that are all coming from high school or junior college or college, the collegiate level coming to being professionals. Now it's the first spring training and you're around these guys who have been there. Now it's like, okay, what is this guy doing? And then you'll have guys that take you under their wing too. And they tell you, Hey, look, this is how we do it. Now you're learning how to be a professional baseball player, not just coming here with the tools that you had. And it'll, and if you're not somebody who's humble, like they say in all sports, the game will humble you, right? You know, the game right. will humble you. And it was something that you, it's something that you have to learn, not just through the game, but through your, your peers around you, you know, seeing how this guy that's in the big leagues works, how is he being a pro? How is he being a pro about his work? How is he being pro off the field? You know, it's, it's not just at the field, it's off the field too. So there's so many things that go into it, you know, and those things create the, the leaders, you, you trickle that knowledge down to create the leaders of tomorrow, essentially, you know? So that was something that was big is just learning from the people who are already there, going in there with an open mind, knowing that, Hey, I'm in a new atmosphere. I'm in an organization. These guys have been here. Now it's my time to soak this in going humi um, humbly mm -hmm. into a new situation and to be able to be that leader for tomorrow. I want to, I'm going to point this to AJ in a second, but before I do, because I know, you know, when you look at the baseballs, the footballs, the basketballs, even the ice hockey, um, soccer or footballs is known around the world. You know, there's so much money invested in those organizations that it's really cool to hear and see what, that they have, you know, learned to be a pro, how to be a leader. But before we get there, I think Stevie and I probably had different experiences because she played volleyball and there's not as much invested and not as much money in the international scene or the U.S. scene of volleyball. And I did the track thing. So, you know, <laughs> I probably had the least amount because track is such an individual thing and you have to get really lucky with the right coach and then be surrounded by really cool people that are willing to help you. But I wanted to ask you about that, Stevie, what, you know, when you come out 
and now you are a national champion from a collegiate level. And then you walk into the international stage and you go, Oh, now I've got gold medalists and pros and, and people that have been doing this for a decade and a half. And here I am walking in going, Hey, it was a pretty cool thing that we did in college, but now I've got this whole thing going on. And you most likely didn't have the classes that art had in the, you know, the conversations and, and those kind of things from an organizational standpoint. And so what did you find most helpful to you as you move forward? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because obviously, yeah, you go from college and when I was playing in college, like we didn't have a ton of like leadership courses, like the mental side of the game and all of that wasn't hit on like it is now. Yeah. Um, and then you walk into a gym where everyone in that gym is a leader, is a leader at some point. Um, and it just, it's there. But the cool thing with being a part of the national team is, um, at the time when I was there, they were working with, uh, Michael, is it Javaris or Javaris? How do you say the last name exactly? And we say it wrong. So he's with the Seahawks. Um, and he does like the mental training, but then it's like a huge course on actual leadership and how, you know, like we're all at high level here. How do we work in a gym together? So that was the cool part of that. But the interesting piece is you go overseas, which you know, and you like you go overseas and now you're working with, you know, you've got people from Italy on your team. You've got Russians, you've got Germans, and you have to figure out like, how do I stay who I am as a leader with all of these other individuals that are different nationalities and they're leading in their way, but maybe what they see as leadership is different than my leadership. Yeah. So it's interesting. And then you add in females. So that's a whole nother piece. Um, but I think end of the day for girls, like as tough as you are, like you want to know that like another female, like generally cares about you. Like, I want to know that you care. And if I know you care, like I'm going to work harder for you. But I also want to know that like you're capable of like, like servant leadership. I want to know that you're okay with like, helping me or like doing something for me and not just expecting me to do something for you because you view that you're the leader of this situation. So it's, it's interesting sometimes with girls, I feel like it's a little bit, sometimes it gets mis, I don't know, like misinterpreted that a leadership is more like a dictatorship. Right. So that's the hard part too with females. But I think that's something that, you know, that's a great point. And I think guys need to hear that because I think that's such a valuable lesson. It kind of goes back to the empathy thing that we were talking about that the leadership aspect of it that I think in most cases, cause you know, again, I've been, been going at this for a while. And I noticed that, that, you know, when you're coaching the young women versus the young men, there is a, I learned this early in my career too, that when I was first coaching at the age of 24, 25, and here I am, I'm still trying to compete. I just, I'm fresh out of college and I have this like super hardcore mentality of training and getting after it and all that. So it was cool to do that with the guys. And then you try it and you have that same mentality and competitiveness and you try to use it with a women's team and oh my gosh, it doesn't work. And you learn quickly that there's a different type of coaching that has to go on. But the cool thing for me as a coach was I started using those principles that I was using with the women's team, with the men's team, and then the men's teams jumped right on board. And so I think a lot of times us as males don't get that side of it from the leadership part of our, our athletic careers. 
because it's so hard-nosed and we're taught to be so hard-nosed and then goes back to the conversation we were having last time that you know the the young female athletes get really hard-nosed mm -hmm. from the training and the in their parents and all those kind of things and i think there's such a there's a harmony there that if you can find that middle ground between both of them it goes into buying in because people in general humans in general want to know that they're cared for and that there is a level of trust that they can portray out and be able to kind of open the door to themselves a little bit and not be so closed off and i think we can all learn from that aspect of it of what you just pointed at that it it's really a necessity to open up and where i found it in my career for me was the like i'm going to point to aj on this one but for me it was i was really really fortunate as a young athlete and when i say young i mean collegiate and my first couple of years as a pro is i was surrounded by some some high level people and got really lucky to be around them and some olympians american record holders and i got to train with them and be around them and they were some of the nicest people that I'd ever been around and they were willing to just, and I, I told the story in the gym multiple times, Dominique Arnold, who at the time was number four in the world, he ended up in the 110 meter hurdles, ended up holding the American record at one time. And I was getting in trouble because I didn't have a watch. And my coach kept yelling at me to, you know, Ryan, get a watch. Ugh. And I just didn't have a watch. Well, Neek was sponsored by Nike and he had this like really, really, really nice, you know, those like 500 lap Nike watches that are, more money than I even want to talk about. He took it off his wrist and just handed it to me. He says, man, just take my watch. I went, Nick, I'm not taking your watch. He says, Ryan, take my, you need a watch. Jeff keeps telling you, you need a watch. Take my watch. And I'm like, Nick, I can't take your watch. He's like, it's okay, man. Just take it. You need it. And it, it was like mind blowing to me that in my world, he's a superstar. I mean, this, to me, he was this, this God of track and field. And, you know, the Usain Bolt of my time from a hurdling aspect. And it was just so like humbling to go, oh my gosh, this is like one of the most big names in track and field right now. And he's just handing me something to help me. And that really shaped me as an athlete and, and as a coach. And AJ, I know you walking in as a rookie and walking into a locker room that had Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famers, obviously. What was that like? And I'm assuming by some of the conversations we've had that a couple of those guys and, you know, Larry Fitzgerald being one of them were probably the guys that were willing to just sit down and be like, hey, man, look, this is what needs to happen. This is how you do it. And it typically is those guys, those people that the most successful ones, for the most part, there's not everybody's this way. But in my experience this far in my life, those are the people that were the most willing to sit you down and help you out. Yeah, um, for me, like just picking back off what James and Stevie said, um, leadership for me is like very broad. Yeah, right. Um, everybody defines it differently, and um, for me myself, I've always been a leader. I've never been like the vocal leader. I've always been one to like kind of lead by example, do my own thing, and make sure I'm doing things right. Um, when I got to the NFL and my first year, those guys that were like the most influential leaders. Um, in my opinion, were those guys that held each other accountable. Mm -hmm. um, we would have multiple leaders, uh, Adrian Wilson, Larry Fitzgerald, um, our quarterback, Warner was there at the time. And um, all those guys held each other 
yeah. accountable, right? right? So when you have multiple leaders that are holding each other accountable, it kind of makes it impossible for the other guys, myself and everybody else to not fall in line because yeah. it weeds you out very fast, right? Very fast, you're easily weeded out, you get cut. Um, you know, those are the guys that are, you know, influenced by the coaches are influencing the coaches and they talk to them um, periodically. Um, but for me, like, like, you know, that we've, we've talked about Larry was one of the first guys, probably because I played on the other side of the ball and he recognized that I had a little bit of talent right away and was able to sit me down and was like, yo, you know, this is what you need to do. I like what you're doing. Just be consistent, you know, finish every time, sprint all the way, all these things that he implemented in himself. I saw every day and then we would have guys that played the same position to me that would, you know, kind of half-ass it, do whatever. But because they were a pro bowler or whatever it was, they kind of get away with it and nobody held them accountable. So for me, I kind of got into a role where because I was a rookie and I was arrogant or I felt like I was better than people, I started holding people that were starting in front of me accountable, mm -hmm. right? Like, why aren't you doing this? Like, we're all doing it. Mm -hmm. You should be doing it. And it was because all the leaders are holding everybody accountable. The people below or, you know, the backups, we all should be holding each other accountable as well. And that's just how I felt. So, like I said, the the leadership thing for me has always been those people that can lead by example. I was never super receptive to like the vocal people, mainly because um, for me, sometimes I felt like it wasn't sincere. It was kind of forced. Um, but alas, like um, the leading by example thing was the thing that, that um, I was more, you know, receptive to. And um, I picked up on that really, really fast and was trying to implement that and um, some of my characteristics. So um, when uh, the younger guys years after me came along, then just me saying anything because I've already led by example, me saying something right away would make it that much easier for somebody to be like, oh, this guy's a leader. He already leads by example. So now that he's saying something, it's just that more impactful. I was totally, I was just about to go there because that made, that just triggered something in me that, you know, it is, it is all about leading by example. I mean, you, in order for someone to follow you, you have to show that you're willing to put in the work. That's, I mean, that's upfront number one. And if you're not willing to do the work and all you do is yap and talk about being the leader, then yes, absolutely comes across as not sincere at all. And that even comes from a coaching standpoint that I was, I was one of those athletes that if a coach had not done what they were yelling at me to do, I had a very hard time falling in line with that, that I, I had a hard time <laughs> respecting what they were asking me to do. Cause I knew, okay, so let's say we're talking about the high jump as an example, right? And here I come off my, you know, depending on where my plant foot's supposed to be in relation to the bar versus where my hip height's supposed to be versus where my arch starts. And if they're yelling at me about my knee drive and then where my arch goes, and they're just telling me that it's supposed to happen at this moment in time, when we're talking about milliseconds and I'm going, well, do you know what that feels like? You know, at what point, once I leave the ground, am I supposed to feel X, Y, and Z? And if you can't tell me that, stop yelling at me because you don't know, you know, and, and it's, and I kind of built a three around that, that, and we tell people all the time, yeah. you will never do something inside of a three that we have not done as a coach ever, ever. And if we come up with something new, we test it out first. Mm -hmm. And if it works, we'll do it. And if it doesn't work, we're going to work on it. You know, so, you know, it really comes down to, and I think there's a misconception in leadership that there has to be a leader, a single leader. And that was another point that you brought up. And I wholeheartedly disagree with that. 
that I think leadership comes in so many forms and so many shapes. And again, we the very first thing that was said by James was that humility is part of that. And in order to be a good leader, you need to know when to step back and let someone else take the lead and then let someone else take the lead and let someone else take the lead. And if there is that holding each other accountable from a leadership standpoint, you've got a very good system. And James just pointed something to me that we've talked about before. Uh, there's a book called Legacy, and it's about the All Blacks, uh, New Zealand All Blacks. And one of the opening lines in this, and for those of you who listen to this podcast, you've heard us talk about this, but there's a, a, a phrase that is used called sweep the sheds. And that is the captains, not captain, captains of the team of the All Blacks. And one of the stories was, I'll kind of go through it real quickly, that they had just won the World Cup. They were partying, having a good time in the locker room, celebrating. And once everybody left, the captains stayed back and they swept the sheds. They cleaned up the locker room after themselves and no one else had to clean up after them. And that's not only a respect thing to the people that have come before them, but it's a respect thing to the coaches and the staff and everybody else that's helped them get there, that it's it's not on everybody else to clean up after you, that you should have your own responsibility. You should have your own wherewithal to, and you know, that, that feeling of, Hey, everyone else helped me get there. I owe it to everybody else to take care of the things and leave things better than the way I got them. You know, and when, one of the things that we say at a three all the time is, you know, be accountable to yourself. So no one else has to tell you to do it. I mean, that's a really important thing that you've got to be able to do things on your own without people telling you. And I think that's another aspect of leadership when it comes to leading by example, you shouldn't have to tell me all the time. Are there going to be times where I forget? Yes. Are there going to be times where I might slip up and not do the one thing that everyone's expecting me to do? Yeah, probably. But again, I'm human. If you say it to me and then I just don't say anything back, I just go do it. So, yep, got it. And I go do it. That's leadership. Because if I'm not giving you an example, if I'm not talking back and saying, oh, but I didn't because of it, that's not being a leader. That's making an excuse. And sometimes, again, as a leader, you've got to be able to step back and be a follower. And if I don't do the thing that I need to do and AJ goes, Ryan, hey, did you do this? And I go, ah, dang, I got it right now. Done. Nothing else needs to be said. Go do it. And that's part of the humility aspect of it. Agree. I thought you were about to go into something um, on the book. I think it's cool that like this conversation's happening right now because in the spring, what we did with our girls is um, we had, you know, like a group that we called our leadership group. And that was kind of, it was about a handful of probably five or four or five girls. And that was our captain, leaders of the team, whatever you want to consider that. And we sat down as a staff and we were like, hey, like, one, like, you know, our culture is something that's always growing and changing because we're always adding new people every, you know, fall. So we were like, we kind of need to look at this going into the big West and like some changes need to be made in culture and how we do things. And one of the big things that we talked about is like, we need to kind of like dismember this like leadership group of people who feel that they are in charge or captains or whatever they felt like they were. We were like, this kind of needs to like, dismember right now and we more so came up with the thing that like we needed to teach everyone across the board on the team about leadership and culture and development and what all of that encompassed rather than just being like okay this group right here you're leaders so you're gonna learn this it was like no we need to go through this as a group 
figure out what we want as a full team and our leaders, and then start to have more conversations, learn. And I mean, there's still been issues that happen. It's just what it is. But like, that's, it's been pretty cool to take the moments to learn, like to use those as the opportunities to teach them like, okay, this is what you do here in a leadership standpoint. Like, this is how you go about this. Or like, those conversations are able to be had now where we're seeing kids who we never thought would have had like any kind of leadership quality are actually able to start having those conversations with their teammates, which is cool. There's a cool leadership study that was done and I'm going to blank on the name. I'm going to have to look it up and maybe write it in the episode notes. Um, But I learned about it by listening and reading Malcolm Gladwell and they were talking about leadership and one of the guys was talking about uh, one of the studies that he did was based on democracy and how as a herd, as a community, a lot of times we miss when we come to democracy and electing somebody. So we're talking about, you know, getting into uh, class president or, or team captain or whatever. A lot of times what happens is, you know, when you go into the campaigning of it, you're getting the people that are willing to go out there and just speak and talk. And not everybody, like you said, AJ, you're, you're not a talker. That's, that's just not you, but are you a good leader? Damn right. You are right. So that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be the president of this organization. Right. So one of the things that they did is they said, okay, everybody raise your hand who wants to be in student council. So like 200 people raise their hand where normally it's three or four or five. Right. And so they gave everybody a bean. This is in another country. They gave everybody a bean and they put all the beans into this one bowl. And then they put a couple different color beans into it. And then all 200 people went in there and grabbed a bean out. And the ones that got the colored one were the ones that ended up being on the council. And so one of the studies, the way the study came out is just like what you were just saying, Stevie, is that you find people that you wouldn't necessarily think would be the good leader and they end up being phenomenal. And all they needed to know was, are you interested in doing it? As long as you don't have to be the vocal person out in front and you start finding people that are willing to do the work, which is number one, one of the most important things, because if you do the work, people will follow you. Right. And it was, it was a really cool study. Again, I'll find the name. So, uh, so that we can push that forward. But You know, when it comes down to it, I think there's, again, that misconception, one, that there needs to be a single leader. I I think that's wrong. And two, like we we just talked about, that that person has to be the utmost vocal, outgoing person. And I just, I don't agree with that. Um, I, I just think there's so many values that we can talk about as a leader. And that's why there's so many different versions of being a leader and why when you start looking at athletics as, as a concept, you know, as a conceptual way of looking at leadership that I don't think most people really look into is the teams that win the, the championship teams, the ones that are truly successful and the dynasties that we see is that there's what Stevie's talking about is there's a culture created that is just expected by everybody that the people that are on that team have now just become collectively the council everybody's a part of it, not just two people. And I think that's been a misconception through the years with athletic teams is that they go, okay, so the coaches, so let's say all of us are sitting in a room, we're the five coaches of this team. And we go, okay, we've got 20 people that 24 people, whatever that we're pulling from. 
we need three of them to be the representative leadership. And those are the ones that are going to report to us. And then they dictate to everybody else. It just doesn't work half the time. And will it work in some scenarios? Yeah, probably. But that depends on those three people that you picked. But if you don't pick right, and we go back to that, that study that I'm talking about from a democracy standpoint, if you just pick the ones that you think are going to be the good leaders, but they may not have the room, now you're going to be in trouble. You're not going to be that championship team that you could be because you picked the wrong people. So when you're doing what Stevie's talking about, which is refreshing to hear, that you're trying to create an entire council of it, and it's the entire team that's being expected to be that way, well, now we've got a culture. Now we've got a way of holding everybody on the team accountable, even if you're the walk-on that's never going to step between the lines. You still have a point on that team. You still have some type of accountability that is expected of you to everybody else, even the person that's the leading person on the team, the one that everybody looks to, the one that's on the marketing material and the one that the announcers are talking about prior to the match. Even that person is held accountable to that person that's never, ever going to step on in between those lines. And I think that's a really, really important thing that most people don't see. Yeah, just to add to what you're saying, um, exactly what you're saying. Um, um, I played for a few teams, and when I was on the Cardinals, um, our captains were predominantly chosen by our coaches, right? And um, just to go along with what you're saying, we had a losing record, right? I end up in Seattle, and I don't know if you guys know anything about Seattle, but they have a winning culture there. And when I got there, immediately, you can tell the culture is completely different. All the captains are chosen by the players, right? So when you elect the captain um, by people, your peers, right, it's much more um, accepting because your peers have elected you, whether you're uh, the vocal person, whether you're leading by example, it's just that everybody in the room notices that you're a leader and we nominate you to be a leader because of your qualities versus our coaches have decided that you're a leader because you're a captain because you were a captain last year or because you're the best player on the team, you're leading the team in these stats or whatever, whatever. And then you have guys like myself that are like, this person isn't really a leader. They're not vocal. They don't lead by example. They're just talented, right? And they get away with stuff for whatever reason. You wind up in a different culture like Seattle where it's like, everybody's a leader, right? So who's going to stand out, right? Who do you think is a leader? And we all, as a consensus, will agree this person that's working who are working hard leading by example doing all these things should be a leader even if they're not vocal because it doesn't have to be vocal all, whether whatever you're doing people are noticing it doesn't matter like your teammates are there your coaches there everybody sees what you do just like very cliche what you do in the dark shows in the light it's it's the truth right so like i said perfect example um having having our captains elected by our coaches didn't didn't help us to have a winning record right then you run into a culture where the captains are elected by their peers and because everybody believes in the captains and they have been elected by their peers it's much more receptive everybody believes and everybody buys in turns into a winning culture we go to the super bowl lose but still made it there but see that's the point though i think that people don't get is the general person who's paying attention to this stuff that's sitting at home watching the game instead of being on the team I think what's missed there is some in a lot of these championship cultures that we're talking about here, the captains are people you've never heard of in some cases, right? You're going to see the coin toss. I've never even seen that person before. And they might only be on in football. They might only be on special teams. 
Uh, when you look at the collegiate level, regardless of the sport, sometimes it's a walk-on. Sometimes it's people that end up earning the scholarship. And, you know, that goes back. That's a whole other conversation. We'll have another time about walk-ons because, you know, the, the walk-on situation of, of being humble enough to say, you know what? I didn't do everything that maybe I could have, or maybe I just wasn't in the right situation, or maybe I wasn't good enough at the time, but I have enough confidence and enough humbleness to walk into this situation and believe in myself to give myself a chance. That's a leader, right? So then we go back to the question that gets asked all the time. And I, I can't wait to talk about this. This is gonna be kind of fun. Are leaders born or are they made? And when you hear that, I a lot of times go back to the the thought process of the old school idea of there's this perfect picture of what a leader should be. And just as we're talking about, there's just so many versions of what a leader is. So again, is a, be, a leader born or are they made? For me, I, I'll take the easy route and say a little bit of both, right? Yeah, I think absolutely. there are some certain people that... Um, you know, we're put in their position because they can get others to follow them and they can find a common target, yes. right? So in a sense, can you argue, oh, that person was made to be a leader? At the same time, I, um, I'm going to shout out Chief Lyle Martin. I, I posed this question to him um, after a talk with him about leadership. And he told me in, in words that I can't repeat directly um, was that, you know, people are also kind of in, um, a product of the environment yes. and the circumstances that, that have shaped them, right? So we've all been shaped by life circumstances, hardships, triumphs, pitfalls, whatever the case may be. And that has what has basically shaped yours or yours or yours view of leadership, right? It might be, you might be the person that gets on people, or you might be the people, the, the type of leader that takes a step back, really dives into something deeper like well why did that person make that decision all right let me understand their situation better then i can properly lead them in the way that fits them best so tough question um i think about it a lot i i think i think they're in in my circumstance um i think i've been blessed to be put in a situation where i can lead and i'm you know more or less forced to lead on a daily basis um, but a lot of my life circumstances have shaped me into the person that I am and Absolutely. how I lead. And again, it comes back to that idea of, you know, the born or the made thing. And, and I, I would agree with both you and the chief that it, it does come down to experience. It does come down to what you've been through. It comes down to the people you've been surrounded with good or bad. There is an innate thing that happens, though, and I think we all as humans have it, is at some point making a decision of which route you're going to go, because no one can make it for you. And we've all had friends, we've all had teammates, we've, we've all had family members that maybe had similar circumstances to us, but they went one way and, well, we went another way. And I, again, there's this, there's, every human has this born innate ability to make a decision to to analyze what's happening around them and go with it and again you know so i again i think you're right it depends and i think it's both that everybody has the ability to do it just like everybody has the ability to run and everybody has the ability to throw or hit or 
jump or land or whatever. We all have those abilities somewhere, right? In most circumstances, but at the same time, do you choose to go that route and use it, right? Um, you know, some people are born to be able, they can look at a math problem and it just, bam, it happens. And they just understand it. Like, actually, there's a, a young man that I was talking to the other day and we were having this conversation about numbers and he just blurted out this number real quick. And I go, oh my gosh, how did you do that? How do you have a mind like that? I was like, what's your major? Well, I'm kind of undecided right now. I'm like, you might want to think about finance or econ or something because my gosh, the the recall that you have is incredible. Have you ever thought about that? And he goes, no, I haven't. I was like, you might want to start thinking about it because that was pretty cool. You know, and it's just that it's, it's experience, right? So that in that circumstance right there, who knows where this kid's going to end up going with his career, but maybe someone finally hear, you know, hearing that from somebody for the first time, maybe that shapes him to go in another way. And he becomes a huge leader in that industry. Who knows? I think, and I agree with James that I, I think there is a little bit of both. I think we're all born with the ability to lead, but then it comes down with the experience of what you've been been around what you've been handed in order to decide at some point, are you going to be that person that people want to follow or are you not going to be that person? And maybe you don't want that responsibility and that's okay. To kind of back and piggyback on that um, and what you just said as far as being around people, right? Um, I was fortunate to have two parents who were athletes that, that performed at high levels and who went on to be good coaches as well yeah. in, in, in their respective sports and what they, what they, what they taught and what they coached. So that, I feel like that's something that I was kind of built around, you know, just seeing them, you know, mm -hmm. seeing how they went about coaching people, seeing how they not only coached on the ball court or the field or whatever, but also coached and helped people in life. You know, like yeah. we've, we've, we take, we've taken people in, to help live with us, you know, um, to get them out of a situation that they may be de dealing with, um, you know, and just family, friends that may be going through things, helping them with something else, whatever it may have been. And I feel like those things kind of helped me become a better leader by being around my parents and seeing how they went about essentially life, you know, from, from, from athletics to, to working, to teaching, to coaching, you know, just all these different things in different areas I saw them in. Because essentially for them, for me, it was like a big performance like that. That's them in a different in a different light, you know, like they're playing this role and then, OK, they're now they're playing this role. Like, so I was able to kind of take that. And I feel like those things kind of molded me as well, because now I do the same things, you know, like if, if it comes down to having to show empathy to, to, to try to understand somebody, their situation, you know, what they're going through so that I can better help them. I was just having a conversation with someone you know, actually two days ago about stuff like this, like, how can I, how can you like just open up to me so that I can understand what you're going through so that I can help you out because I need to understand, you know, cause, and just to have that ability and that, that want to understand is something that I was taught by, by seeing and by, you know, being around it to helping my cousin with, with baseball today, we did, we did stuff with baseball and that's just, you know, seeing how my parents went about helping somebody else do something, um, walking them through the steps, seeing them do through the fundamentals, being able to put myself in their shoes to relate to the, the things that he's going on with his, his swing or what he's feeling. Because like we talked about before, I've done it. You know, right. I went through those, I went through those moments where I had to like just break my whole swing down, start from the ground up, 
you know, but I was able to relate to what he's feeling when he's telling me these things because I've been there. You know, just there's so many things in this conversation that we've we've discussed and talked about, especially in this one right here, like it hits me a little bit with the who you've been around if you're born or if you're you're made, you know, and I feel like I was not just born for the for this, but I was also made by my surroundings, you know, yeah. and to have a good a good um, you know, two examples, which is my mom and my dad to yeah. able to to help me go the right direction or to to just know, you know, like we talked about friends, like I've had We've all had friends that we've, we we grew up with that went a different route and just having that ability that, that something inside me to tell me, Hey, you know what? I'm going to go this way. Yeah. And I feel like all those things came from who my parents are and what they instilled in me and just me being able to relate to the situations that they dealt with that I saw them help others with as well. And I feel like that's a huge thing too. And this is a direction I wanted to go in, uh, because I've actually been fortunate enough to be a product of getting help from your parents. And they may not even realize it, but there's been times where, I mean, even your mom, I've sat down and talked when I was an AD at BC and, and then going into A3, I mean, I've sat down and talked to your mom before. Your dad and I obviously been a little bit closer uh, than your mom and I, but I mean, they both have helped me multiple times. And you're right, there, there's, there's definitely a situation there where you were obviously very fortunate to grow up in that and have it around you all the time. And, and I kind of joke, or I've joked around with your dad before that they need to write a book, you know, yeah. I mean, how, how to, to navigate through life the way they did and, and still stay so happy, so nice. They're, they're still best friends and, you know, they've got four kids and you know, I mean, it's just amazing to watch. And I mean, there's, there's just so much knowledge that they could spread into the world and they're doing that through you guys, which is amazing. And I think that gets lost sometimes that, you know, in the, in the lives that we have in the lives that we have now, everything is so busy. There's so much going on. There's so much rhetoric out there from the news and, and from the media and from TV to social media to, our phones to everything that we've got going on that I think a lot of times that slowdown that you're talking about that you receive from your parents doesn't happen as much. And it's not to the fault of anybody. It's not that anybody doesn't love their children as much as another person. It's our lifestyles now and, and the way that we live our lives that we take for granted sometimes that we do need to slow, have, have that talk and slow things down and just be present and have that empathy that we're talking about as being a leader that we take for granted sometimes that, oh, they know I love them. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, we don't need to sit down and, you know, sitting at dinner, you know, even just sitting at dinner together. I mean, that doesn't hardly ever happen anymore that families actually sit down together because, well, mom's working till seven and well, dad got home at five, but you know, he was still working on his computer or whatever, whatever, whatever. I mean, these things are happening so much that I, I think what you're talking about gets lost in translation sometimes that, and those of us that have experienced those types of scenarios, maybe don't think about it as much. And obviously you do, and you take it on with you and it's why you've been so successful. But I, I would like to touch on that because we all deal with, with young athletes and the leadership aspect of it is a very big deal for all of us and what we're doing and, and why we're coaching and why we're helping people because we've been fortunate enough to be around people that were willing to help us. And, and that goes outside of family. That goes from coaches to peers to, you know, friends or whatever. I mean, I've, I've got friends from high school that, you know, they, they were not in the best situations and, 
you know, when something bad was about to happen, they'd be like, Hey, you need to leave. Like, what, what are you talking about? Just, you need to go. You got some stuff that, that could happen for you. Just don't be here. Okay. You know, and you just, okay. And that's, that's empathy. That's someone who's really thinking about you and caring about you. And that's how those kind of people stay friends. And, and, you know, there's teammates that you have like that, but you know, when we're talking about the, the young culture coming through, I think that gets lost because there is so much individuality that goes on with the way these young kids are being brought up now with the social media and the way that we portray sports on TV, that it is sometimes more entertainment than it is athletics from the viewership standpoint, unfortunately. And we don't, we don't dive into that. We don't get into the idea of, you know, what it is to be selfless and humble and all those things. And, and, you know, it almost sounds like cliches half the time that, you know, the team has to be bigger than you and there is no I in team. And, you know, I mean, it's all those things. Well, there is an ME, you know, you'll hear that sometimes. So, you know, when you start looking at all these factors, it, it doesn't get taught to the person. And, and ultimately what I think is really one of the most important things is the empathy and the humility to become that person, you know, allow yourself. It's just like, if we're talking about a mechanic, if we're talking about sprinting, jumping, swinging, whatever, the most effective thing you can do to be, to get the most out of your biomechanics is to stay loose. And part of staying loose is being able to get the body into the full position and the full capacity and the full extension that needs to happen. It's the same thing in psychology, right? Same thing in personality that the more loose I am in the ability to hear and the ability to learn and the ability to follow the better leader I'm going to be. And it's like AJ was talking about that when you lead by example, when you are that person that's willing to put in the work and everybody sees you putting in the work that when you do talk, people will stop and listen. So when it comes to like, when you guys are recruiting and I'm sure you guys see this all the time from the social media standpoint to, you know, how they deal with their teammates, how they deal with their family, how they interact with those people, because, you know, you've said it before, Stevie, about how you go through all these different processes of seeing how they react off the court. And you've said it too about, you know, trying to create this more of a council than it is, you know, a, a leadership group. What are some of those challenges you see that you're trying to emulate inside of a team atmosphere of, you know, maybe it's no phones on road trips or and that might be a little drastic, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> that might be almost impossible nowadays, but, you know, trying to get them to understand that it, it has to go beyond the likes and the shares and the, all of those things. Um, I think it's funny you say that because definitely during this recruiting process, since we haven't been able to watch kids, you know, we sat down and we, we talked about, okay, we can't watch these kids and I can't stand at their court and, you know, get to know them as like straight playing and see some of that, those other things that are happening. What's the next best thing I can do on the phone with this kid. And one of the really fun things, but I say fun for me because it's not uncomfortable for me, um, with these athletes, but I've been challenging them to have like really hard, uncomfortable conversations with me nice. um, on the phone. And it's not like the first phone call. I can, you know, not introduce myself to this kid and then just jumping into tough conversations. That would be fun for you. That would be fun. <laughs> but like, I want to know, like, I want to know if you've gone through some stuff. Like, right. I want to know, like, how you deal with challenges. I want to know how you deal with, you know, your 
rowdy little teammates that you don't like every day because we're girls. Like, I want to know you struggle with school, how you deal with that. I want to know how you how you are when you struggle with a bad game or your bad days. Like, I want to know, like, the deep, not fun details of life. Like, how do you deal with it? Like, let's talk about hard things. Yeah. Because if I'm on the phone with you and we're talking about that, especially, like, volleyball, like, I'm like, hey, like, I give you a situation and I say, how's this happened to you? And the kid says, yeah. And I say, well, how'd you do with it? And they said, uh, uh, I just put my head down and kind of walked away. Well, like, all right. Well, one, yeah, great learning opportunity here. But that kind of tells me, you know, a little bit more like you're not going to be the kid who wants to like address those situations. And we all know, like, we got to address them. Otherwise, it's not helping you, but it's definitely not helping the people around you. Right. So I think that's been one of the fun things, even though it's not so fun. I mean, but that, it's a good one. Does that change you going forward as a recruiter? Because you have had to change everything that you do, and you go back to what you just said. You want to know if someone's willing to change. Well, you are. You did. That just created another avenue of leadership for you. But going forward in the recruiting process, you know, once it, it opens all back up and you're able to go see them in person, do you see yourself finding benefit from what you're going through right now and being able to use that moving yes, forward? Absolutely. Cause I'm able to actually, I mean like just one of our 2022 commits, I mean, her and I had probably, she had probably one of the greatest conversations with me, like deep in-depth conversation and talked about, you know, things that she struggles with on a court and with teammates and that she's working on getting better so coming up, you know, come spring when I get to watch her, like I'm going to know now those situations that she struggles with and to see her change it because we've talked about it. Like that's going to be so rewarding knowing like I get her in two years to be able to walk away and text her later that day and say, hey, like I saw you do this and I know this is hard for you. Like kudos to you. Like that's nice. awesome. That's cool. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a really good story because now that girl owns her words. Mm -hmm. Right. So now when she doesn't portray that attitude or, or what she said she wanted to work on. There's a coaching moment. So I like that. That was a great story. Um, for me, for leadership, um, I think it really just melts down into like, who's the actual person? Like, what are your values and your morals and the way you treat people? Right. So we work on this, we'll, we'll get to the recruiting part, but we'll work on this with our boys every day. It's always a teaching lesson. Right. But like mm -hmm. just very small things that to me make a huge difference. But when you walk in the room, do you address people and say hello? Or do you just walk in and sit down? Right. Um, you know, are you introducing yourself to someone? Are you shaking their hand and looking at them in their eye? And then this goes to when we're, I mean, right now recruiting off of Zoom, right? But are you laying down slouched when I'm talking to you? Are you sitting up? You're attentive. You're looking at the screen, right? Like it's very small. When we bring a recruit on campus, we watch everything, right? We take you to lunch. Did you push in your chair afterwards? You know, did you, how did you well, treat did, the like, woman? Did you say thank you? Right. Like, I mean, like, I just, you know, charge my school account to pay for you and your family. Like, you're going to say thank you. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Right. But like, it's so right. small. But like, you would be surprised. Like, it's just like, I'll take all this for lunch, but thank or no thanks. And just go sit down. And play. Mm -hmm. So it's like these, they really are to me little things, but they have such a massive impact that 
we need to we we need to build the the recruit or the player from the base. Some of them haven't been taught these things, right? Right, Absolutely. which is which is very frustrating. But understanding the climate that we're in, and and you know the the so self centered environment entitlement, right? That that we are instant gratification of the likes um, or the comments, you know, on social media. That some of them, you know, they don't even think twice about it. So. I think as me, as a leader, that's my job to, all right, if I really want you, these are the things that we're going to have to have, or these are the things you're going to have to learn very quickly so that we can move forward. Yeah. I think one of the coolest things of like how you just said, like, you know, like when you come in a room, you address people or you introduce yourself um, to people. One of the coolest things was we had a rule on the national team when I was there. Any person who came in the gym to like our practice or whatever it was, and if we didn't know them, everyone went up and introduced himself and like we had people nice. in our practices all the time so every morning i mean probably that poor person who had to meet like 30 girls 30 to 40 girls I mean, everyone just ran over introduced themselves back to what they're doing but like you would stop like mid-drill because you knew like okay this person just walked in the gym and we don't know them so we're going to go introduce ourselves and thank them for coming so it was cool really cool yeah I, yeah i think you know taking the time to get people to understand because again it goes back to you know are you born or are you made and again i think everybody has the ability but not everybody's been taught and there are things that that are just upfront things that need to happen the you know the without thinking the saying the thank yous and you know actually making eye contact with somebody and being respectful i mean all of these things sweeping the sheds as being a form of respect and what all that means a lot of times people are coming from areas where that's not been taught because the people that raised them weren't taught and the people that raised them weren't taught because that's just a thing. It's a continual process, right? And it's never too late to learn at all, ever. And it's it's really important as leaders to not judge somebody up front right away for not doing it because maybe they just don't know, or maybe they're too intimidated. Maybe they don't have the confidence to say thank you or make eye contact or any of that, but you know, give them a couple chances. And then once they start doing it, great. And if they don't, well, then that's a personality thing that that's probably not going to happen. You know, so it's, it's just when we, we all kind of pick up on those things a little bit faster than probably the most, because we've been exposed to so many different types of people, so many different types of teammates and coaches and all of those things. But I think that also is something that's very important to communicate to people that, you know, the general consensus, in my opinion, is probably that people think that you are either born one and you are just that personality and you're really strong and you're outgoing and you have this ability to talk all the time or you don't. And if you don't, then you're not a leader. And I think if there's anything that we can communicate, anything that we can convey to people listening is that there's so much more to it than that. And everybody has the ability to be that person should they want to be and in varying degrees, because it, you know, again, we don't have to be the most vocal person in the world. You might just be really, really hardworking, or maybe you're just really empathetic to everybody. All of those things are needed in, in a team atmosphere. And it may not come from one person. It may come from multiple people. And again, that's okay. So again, with us being in the positions that we're in and coaching people and trying to create cultures that are successful and positive, you know, it behooves us to communicate the idea that we want to encapsulate all of it in the room, regardless of who the person is or the group of people are. 
And the more we can get people to work together, the more we can get people to buy in and not necessarily have a, you know, kind of this leveled off dictatorship, which most athletics have, or most organizations have, right? Because most corporate places and most schools, they'll have their administrators and then the administrators will have their leading, you know, leadership councils underneath them that will then go talk to the rest of the teachers or the rest of the organization or the company. And again, it goes back to, you know, the exact example that Stevie's giving that they're trying to create right now inside of their team, that they're just trying to create the culture of accountability and the culture of leadership and all the definitions of leadership that go with it, that everybody's expected to do it, not just two or three people then going down to communicate to everybody. And that goes down to everybody being willing to work and the team that you create have the ability to work and everybody has their position and their things that their specialties. And a lot of times you're going to have to sit back and let somebody else do the work because they're better at it than you are. And that's okay. So if there's anything we can communicate, and if anybody wants to chime in here, it's, it's being humble, having an understanding of the situation and allowing somebody else to take the lead, being empathetic of other people's situations or scenarios, or just the day that they're having and being able to have the ability to be open to it and staying loose, you know, the relaxing winds of, of the, uh, of the world's and being able to take that information and roll with it sometimes, because it's not a script. Life is not scripted, at least to us, it's not. And so, you know, in that circumstance, you have to be able to, you know, as they say, roll with the punches sometimes. And as a leader, you can't always portray this super strength. You, you also, you know, you, you got to show the vulnerability as well because you're not perfect and that's okay. Yep. I was just going to tag on to that and just talk more about the humility and just a quote that I've heard many times from different other people is, you know, when you, when you're a leader and you believe, you know, everything and you stop learning, that's whenever you're not a leader anymore. And I feel like that's the biggest thing just to, to just focus on that. Like you're always learning. There's always a learning opportunity. You don't know everything. And when you think you do, now you're no longer a leader. And that's whenever you start to backtrack and go the other way. Well said. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. Just <laughs> be coachable, right? You can learn to be a leader, even if you're not, you have those, everybody has those qualities to become a leader. Like myself wasn't a leader until I got to the collegiate level, learned to be one because I was hardworking and my, my teammates and my peers respected me and noticed me as such. So like I'm saying, just continue to be coachable. You can learn to be a leader, right? It's a great way to say it. And I think that's a good ending to this whole thing is, regardless of who you are, regardless of the level that you reach, regardless if you're the head coach, the president, the CEO, the whatever you are, be coachable regardless of where you're at. Whatever level you are in life, be coachable. Point blank, that's it. And all the things that come with it. Thank you, everybody, for today. That was a wonderful conversation, and we're going to build off this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.